0: Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening podcast episode 97 here on PGE. Sam Lebowitz with Jack Hendon, the New York Mets, the team that this podcast is about in case you're new. I don't know, maybe you are. It's episode 97. You can jump onto these things whenever you want. Uh, the New York Mets are finishing off a four and two week of baseball play. They took two of three from the Brewers. They took two or three from the A's. And they still sit a game and a half above the Atlanta Braves. They had that lead up to two and a half back on Friday. The loss on Saturday in Oakland, which we'll talk about um, as Atlanta beat the Phillies, uh, drop them back to one and a half. Mets and Braves both winning today on Sunday. And Lashana Tova to you if you're celebrating the Jewish New Year. Rosh Hashanah, Jack, I know you are. I am as well. Just had a nice family dinner. Uh, with my folks had some apples had some honey might have even dipped one in the other
1: how are you doing I had bagels for lunch that's That's, you know that's that was that's my little way of celebrating um I'm doing well good week still kind of processing the clinch a little bit like I didn't think it was I thought maybe it would just sort of be part of our episode last time and we'd be like over it but I'm still sort of soaking in the fact that they're going to be in the playoffs and at this point they might even win 100 games so um just in a constant state of excitement about about this baseball team
0: if they don't win 100 games something probably went wrong Uh, yeah in the week ahead the mets have by my count eight games left that's right Uh, and they they have 97 wins yeah they're at 97 wins 97 and 57 exactly 40 games above 500 um which is their high watermark of the season um it's also the first time they've been this far over 500 since the last day of the 88 season um it's really wild that we're just experiencing this season it's been so wonderful it's been such a wonderful season we talk about it every week how how incredible it's been to experience this season and i'm I'm with you that going from the ups and downs of the last few seasons and missing the playoffs every year since 2016 to now being in the postseason—it's like it's it's almost it's sublime in a lot of ways. It feels really great, and then there's the flip side of it where I was able to relish the fact that we clinched, you know, the playoffs a week ago, and ever since then, just been watching scoreboards like a hawk. I'm yeah. so this this uh, division race is so anxiety-causing. Like, I I want it to be just over. I want it to be done. If they're not going to win the division, I want to know. But obviously, there's still eight games left. And that series next week, which, you know, I think maybe we'll start with. Yeah. um, That series in Atlanta next week, next weekend. The Mets have two against the Marlins at home on Tuesday and Wednesday they have off days bookending that monday and thursday and then they go to atlanta probably um, for a three-game set at probably truest park although there's a threat of a hurricane so who yeah. knows if mlb steps in and moves them to miami and has them play in a dome or something but they'll
1: move them to colorado just like last time you know i think that's i think that would be the best thing to do they should move uh, them back to new
0: york give the mets home road games
1: no, but you know what that would mean. You know that, like, Mets fans would try and, like, co-opt the chop or something to be funny, and, like, that just wouldn't. It would be cringe. Um, not to say that it's not worth a home field advantage, but, like, I'm wary about that happening. Uh,
0: lucky Mets getting more home games or whatever. New York,
1: the, the commissioner's office in New York has decided to move the games to New York. It would be awesome if they did not play those games in Truest Park, though. And I think that that's that has an actual chance of becoming a thing. I don't know if Florida makes the most sense because they might also be in the eye of the hurricane and the Marlins might also have they might also be playing at home that weekend.
0: Yeah, I haven't looked too, too far in depth into it because I have a feeling that it's you know it's something to keep an eye on but in the six days between now and friday anything could happen with the weather patterns and hurricane ian can get swept out to sea or further inland and dissipate and whatever i'm not a meteorologist i'll i'll let the forecasters forecast uh but regardless it's just something to keep in mind it's a level of intrigue because this series is already like i said driving anxiety through the roof um for a lot of people, for a lot of Mets fans who are already, you know, anxiety riddled, yeah, yeah, New Yorkers, and
1: you know, it's you get it neurotic, uh, honestly. Well, first of all, Miami is the Marlins are playing in Milwaukee next weekend, so Miami's free. could be a thing. Um, but no, I it is very. It's just very, I think, of the season for this whole thing to come down to. For us to really, despite the team continuing to like push on the gas, like we are still talking about this last series, like this last hurdle. Like it really has never been over all year, despite every push that the Mets have made and every game that they've won in such a way that you're like, wow, there's no way this team won't win the division. Um, The Braves are still very much in play. The Phillies are a very fascinating experiment. Um, They really just they are so just very, it's, it's, it is very, I think damning that they're going to just get to be in the playoffs this year, unless the brewers cook something up. And even then, like, I don't know if, like, I don't think the brewers are going to are going to work it out. Like I think the Phillies basically have the spot made and like the fact that they're getting a playoff spot for what they've done this year is, pisses me off a little just just like a little bit um i don't think they really have have earned it at all um Uh, it's not helping that's this weekend
0: yeah i was gonna say that the the fact that like this team is gonna most likely win 100 games and uh, the division title is still very much up for grabs it just it's it's so remarkably annoying because you look around baseball and teams the the second tier playoff teams are starting to win their divisions i mean the dodgers wrapped theirs up a long time ago the yeah. the uh, astros wrapped theirs up the other day um the astros are the only team in the american league that's probably unless the yankees go on a tear the yankees are sitting at 93 wins right now at the time of recording um the astros are the only team in the american league that's probably going to win 100 games mm-hmm. um the guardians wrapped up the central today Uh, they clinched today they're at they have uh, 11 fewer wins than the Mets they have 86 wins but they're the only team above 500 in their division the White Sox are now a game under so like I'm just like you know it's this
1: well they won six in a row and the Sox lost six in a row it's like that never happens for us we never get hot right when the Braves it's net. they never line up like that it's it's constantly been neck and neck in terms of when
0: it lined up for like a brief second on Friday or on Thursday and Friday, the Mets were off Thursday and the Braves lost and that bumped the division lead up to a game and a half. And then the Mets took care of business on Friday in Oakland really handily and the Phillies on the, like the Phillies had the complete reverse game as the Mets did the Mets uh, one nine to one, and the Phillies won nine to one over the Braves. It was like the Mets and the Braves had mirrored experiences on Friday night and it got the Mets division lead up to two and a half. And I was thinking Phillies have won two in a row at home. If by some happenstance, if by chance they can take one more game in this series, if they can take three of four, we could be looking at a three and a half game lead come Monday morning. And it, it didn't happen that way. Cause You know, even though the the Mets had DeGrom and Scherzer going, you figured that those should both be wins against the A's. Baseball happens, and DeGrom had his worst start um, since the 70s.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't think that Saturday would have been the game that they lose, but, like, that was pretty hard to watch. I mean,
0: you watch the first half inning of that game, top top of the first. Ken Waldachuk didn't look like he could get a batter out. No. uh alonzo took them across the bay mm-hmm. and they were up three nothing before degrom even was on the mound and you're like this is a win this it had yeah. a very similar start on the offensive side to today's game when they did almost the same thing they put up three runs in the first two innings against jp sears yeah. or in the first three innings they didn't score in the top of the first but you know they g- gave their ace on the mound that day run support early with three early runs and you expect that to stand up it did today it didn't with de on the mound on saturday because uh whether you want to make excuses for him and say it was angel hernandez's fault or not even Degrom, you know wound up apologizing to angel hernandez for complaining yeah. about calls that angel kind of got right
1: yeah the uh, angel didn't do anything wrong that's that's like lazy i think that's kind of lazy that people are blamed like if it, if it were not angel hernandez people absolutely would not be doing that even though i think he sucks like yeah, he got absolutely. Voted for that. Degrom had a bad day.
0: Degrom right? had a bad day. He he walked two guys in the first inning. He couldn't get out of his own jam. He gave up. He gave up four runs in the first inning, which is not only the worst single inning Degrom has had um, since the beginning of 2019. It's also the worst single start he's had since 2019 because he had that record that I think he he broke the record in his previous start. Yeah, where he. For the 40th consecutive start, which is a modern major league record, didn't allow more than three runs in and out. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and undone in
1: one single inning. I mean, he got the record. He got the record. He he got the record. Now the question is like, is the record going to be just like the peak of everything? And like, are we just not going to get good Jacob deGrom anymore? Like I don't, I'm inclined to believe that he's going to be fine. Um, like, I think the mound in Oakland probably could have had a had a hand in this. Like, as you could see, it was very clearly uncomfortable. And yeah. it doesn't take a very, like, advanced baseball mind to know that the Oakland Athletics don't take care of their facilities. Um, like, one of their shortstops today almost got hit in the face by a ground ball because it took a bad hop on him. Like, nothing is taken care of there. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like, these games kind of matter. Like, even if Jacob deGrom going to turn it around at some point, like, you have to wonder, I mean – this is really not the time for him to be having like these, these clunker performances. Um, They really need him. I mean, this can't, it absolutely can't happen in Atlanta, but above all else, it can't happen in October. Like part of this team's real, I think, claim to to sovereignty in the league is that they have DeGrom and Scherzer going back to back every five days. Um, And if Jacob DeGrom is suddenly just like Carlos Carrasco out there, does it really, um give them the best chance of, of of winning at that point like I don't know I think I'm a little worried about that even though I think that for the most part like I don't think he's hurt I don't think that he's like regressing or anything like that I don't think he's wearing down I just think I mean we've seen what's happened the slider when it's not good it gets hit around uh he doesn't really throw the change up that often anymore like he has a home run problem even though he strikes like everyone else out like when he gives up hits uh, they're usually hard hits. Uh, they're usually loud hits. Like I would, I would like that to not happen anymore. Cause there was a time where Jacob Degrom was everything he is now, and also a pitcher who didn't give up like super hard contact.
0: I mean, they, he didn't give up anything for yeah forty consecutive starts, roughly. Right. I mean, it was spread out over you know more years than forty starts normally is spread out because of the injury problems and all that stuff. But I mean, since 2019 when jake's been on the mound with the exception of a couple of clunkers he had in the beginning of that season once he found a groove in 2019 uh or yeah i mean well, once he started rattling off cy young's i mean he hasn't 18, even amazing. yeah it was 2018 longer yeah it was 2018 when he won the first cy Young. i'm i'm mistaken on that yeah he won back to back in 2018 and 19 um I, this guy's given up nothing and for him to just even Look a little bit off is like rattling, but the fact that he gave up five runs over four innings and uh, some a lot of hard
1: hit baseballs and and walked some guys and uh, very much walks. guys, by the way, too, like the Oakland A's, like these are very much just guys that you're walking, you're not pitching around like you know, Aaron Judge, you're 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 giving up bombs to Connor Capel, you know, he he gave up the home run to Seth Brown, it was Trevor, that's Williams. right. Who, Sorry. Who, by the way, Connor Capel hit two homers in this series. He looked like a nice little player. Dude, the, the booth loved him. You know that when there's a guy that's like Gary Cohen's size out there and he's like running hard and playing well, that the booth is just going to be on it the whole game. Like, I think that was like that, – that made it at least a little bit entertaining because every time Capel did something, like, they really, really just fawned over him. But also, like – um you know, like he's hitting balls to Darren Ruff and Darren Ruff isn't catching them. Like it's, it's a give and take thing where like at some point the joke wasn't very funny anymore.
0: To his credit, he did hit a couple of balls like over the fence. Yeah, Um, he did. He had a good series. So does Seth Brown. I mean, Seth Brown looked, looked a lot better than he probably should have. I mean, I, I don't know what it was. Brown hit a home run off the Grom and that 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 whole I mean that inning goes differently I think if it's a night game maybe you know that that ball that got McNeil twisted up maybe he catches if the conditions are a little different or if he gets a better first step that ball could be over his head regardless but um, I don't know man I mean a couple calls go to Grom's way that that didn't in that inning and you're you're probably looking at things a little differently I mean it's just weird, I, but I agree. I think maybe the mound had an issue too. Cause when Trevor Williams came in that game, he was also yeah. looking down at the mound after a lot of his pitches, as was DeGrom seemingly after every single pitch DeGrom would like finish and look down at his feet and,
1: And you know know. that they'd send a trainer out if it were a physical thing. Like, there's no way that the Mets are going to leave him out there to get hurt in that kind of situation. Like, they're absolutely going to act if he's hurt. It was clearly not that he was having a physical problem.
0: I mean, he gives up four runs in an inning, and I'm, you know, Jeremy Hefner went out to talk to him in the middle of that inning. I'm sure the first thing out of his mouth was, do you feel okay? Right. And first thing that Buck Showalter probably said to him when he came back in the dugout after the bottom of the first was, do you feel okay? And if the answer is not, yes, if the answer is anything but yes, there's no chance he goes out for a second inning. If something gets tweaked later in that start, there's no way he continues for four innings Uh, because this team knows how important he is uh, and knows that they really need to uh, handle Jake with kid gloves because uh, he's made of glass, really, at this point, it feels like. Um, and anytime he's less than himself, you wonder uh, what's – What's going on with him? I mean, last week we were talking about after he had given up the three run home run to O'Neill Cruz, we were talking about how it seems like he's not able to maintain the dominance right. deeper into starts now. That it seems like once he's getting up 75-80 pitches, that he's starting to hit a bit of a wall. Um, which, you know, it might be a product of the fact that he just hasn't pitched in games for a year prior to when he came back from this latest injury. Um or it could be an age thing. He's getting into his mid-30s, but it doesn't it doesn't help that as we were talking about maybe some signs of uh, weakness in DeGrom's armor that he had this start. It's just, it's a little worrying and he's still Jacob DeGrom. He's still more than human, you know, above normal average pitchers. They were talking all about the, on the broadcast about how, Buck Showalter was talking about how we judge him to a completely different standard than every other yeah. pitcher. Uh, like if Taiwan Walker gives up four runs in the first inning, I'm like, ah, yeah, it's Taiwan Walker. Right. It happens sometimes.
1: Yeah. And if he goes, I mean, what was DeGrom's final line anyway? Like, like four innings, five earned runs in like, you know, four of them coming in the first inning. Like if Walker had done that and ended on a term where like, He didn't give up any more runs. Like, we'd be like, well, Walker battled. Walker, you know, like, figured it out and kept them in the game or whatever. Like, we make excuses for pitchers all the time who who perform the way DeGrom did. It's very much just to do with the fact that, like, you expect better from him. I am curious to see how they approach the Atlanta series. Uh, Because, like, he definitely needs to... um, He definitely would be, like well advised not to have a bad game against them um yeah that would be the worst
0: that would be the worst time to have a set you know a start like that
1: yeah definitely well whether it's going to be on regular rest or later because these days off are kind of weird um i wonder because apparently so tim healy wrote that the it's likely that jacob degrom is going to pitch in the opener on friday um Not totally clear if that's because the Mets want him pitching the first game because they want him pitching the first game or if they want him pitching the first game because they want him pitching on regular rest. But they really do seem to believe that he's doing fine. Um, They're really going to need, if he is pitching the first game, they're going to need him to go at least six innings. Like, no questions asked. First game of those series, you can't bleed your bullpen out because Jacob DeGrom is a bad game. Um, not much we can do in the way of like preparing for something like that, because you expect Jacob DeGrom to be good. Uh, but we do just kind of have to wait to see it, but that's sort of been a common thing for us where we just have to see and wait how they do. And most of the time it's turned out decently and like worst case, it's like, you know, they drop two of three in a series. And if they win at least one game against the Braves, they clinch the tiebreaker, um, they still control their destiny, right? Like there are still a lot of things that are working in the Mets' favor, but um, when you're when really like your best player uh, doesn't look like the best player on your team anymore, like you have to, you know, you definitely it gives you pause for sure.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll ask you. You know, I mean, they haven't officially lined things up for that Brave series, but with the benefits of the two off days this week and only having to use two starters against the Marlins and uh how would you line this rotation up like how do you think you would arrange their three horses um in Atlanta
1: um well I would do it probably based on like availability first and foremost uh right so we're talking about DeGrom we're talking about Bassett we're talking about Scherzer Scherzer is still clearly on a tight leash um they did not push him against Oakland they didn't push him against Milwaukee
0: he got um, up, well. He got above ninety pitches, so I assume that you know uh, he only threw sixty eight against the Brewers last week, but against the A's yeah. today, he threw like ninety one or ninety two. So
1: okay, so that's okay. Maybe I, then
0: I assume the leash is going to be off against the Braves. Like it has to be. You're you're it's it's the Braves.
1: Yeah, it would be the biggest series, but I think at the same time, like if you win two in a row against the Marlins um, and the Braves lose two in a row, the whole thing's over. I think
0: pretty much well not necessarily completely over because if they sweep you then even if you built a three and a half game lead Mm -hmm. um well well the braves don't have any off days this week right
1: i don't think so the mets have two for some reason i know the braves yeah the
0: braves have the nats this week and they have they play monday i'm not sure if they play thursday i'm gonna
1: check this right now
0: yeah i'm checking too um it looks like they're off Thursday. They are off yeah. Thursday. So they have they have the Nats Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, it's so it's so odd. It, this is just it's it's a weird, weird little vibe that's going around right now. So like if if theoretically, if the baseball gods were to help the Mets immensely and have the Braves, I don't know, get swept by the Nationals, just spitballing here. Um, and the Mets take the two games um against the Marlins. Then the magic number goes down to three. It's at eight right now. You'd have three Braves losses, two Mets wins. So it would drop the magic number down to three with six games left. Um and the division lead would be four.
1: Yeah. I, so I'm going to walk back a point that I made about those games against the Marlins, because I definitely don't think the Mets are going to like rearrange the desk chairs like a day or two before the series starts. Like they probably need to have these guys on a routine right now. Um, especially yeah. if, you know, if like Scherzer is going to be off the leash, like you can't take him off the leash and also screw with his schedule a little bit. Um, I would think, I think that Jacob Degrom. I think it would be a mistake to throw his schedule off too much and give him too much time, like just to, to just sit. Um, I don't really know. At least off the top of my head, I don't feel like he's had bad interactions to just like working on a regular schedule. Um, and I I definitely don't think it's like been something that has helped him a lot. I guess when they gave him time off. Was it after the Brave series where they sort of pushed him back a little bit and, like, because he almost won seven innings? I think maybe it does make sense. I Honestly, like, I, I'm, like, pretzeling myself trying to think about how this is going to work. Um, you also don't want to give Chris Bassett too much time off, right? Like, if he pitches Sunday, he pitched on Friday, you can't have him pitch on, like, what would that be, seven days rest? Eight days? Yeah, eight days rest. Like, that's probably too much. Yeah, uh, you,
0: you want to keep these guys on as close – to on turn as possible because i mean if you the thing is is that if you screw around and like you decide you want to grom on regular rest on friday Mm -hmm. then do you want scherzer waiting a full week between outings and then maybe you want him going saturday to keep him on full rest and then bassett has eight days between starts in that case i mean is because like the thing I don't think you can have it so that everyone you can't have it so that everyone stays on turn.
1: Right. That's
0: the that's the problem. Is that if you push Degrom and Scherzer ahead of Bassett, then it screws with Bassett and gives yeah. him maybe too much extra. I mean I don't know how maybe Chris Bassett is like yeah give me some extra rest I don't care. Um, but he I have thrown a lot of innings like he, just, yeah
1: the
0: team so I in innings I. I I'll let you, you know, I want to hear your opinions on this, but I'm, I'm almost inclined to just keep them in the order that they're in and just have it so that they're all, you know, they all get it a day, an extra day of rest. Yeah. Basically, They're pitching a week from their last outing. Bassett went Friday in Oakland. He goes Friday in Atlanta. DeGrom went Saturday in Oakland. He goes Saturday in Atlanta. Scherzer Sunday in Sunday. Yeah. Um, and that way, you yeah. know, you have an idea if you're deGrom and Scherzer, I don't know. Those guys are bulldogs. I mean, Bassett is too. Bassett I always kind of look at as like this mini Scherzer in terms of the intensity. He's, he's a wacko too, just like Max, but he doesn't show it quite as much as Max, but you can tell that he's got that same kind of when I'm on the mound, don't screw with me kind of thing. I'm going to go and get you. Mm-hmm. Um, that Scherzer has that makes him so entertaining and intense to watch. So I think that, you know, if they drop the first game, if Bassett pitches, then both DeGrom and Scherzer are kind of even a little more zoned in maybe for Saturday and Sunday. And I don't think that that's to their detriment. I don't know. I just I think the, the, the scenario that screws with their routines the least uh, yeah. is keeping them in the same order that they're currently in.
1: I think so, yeah. I would rate it in terms of, like, who can be messed with the most to who can be messed with the least. I think Bassett is probably the most flexible, and then I would say Scherzer is the next most, and then DeGrom is the least flexible. But I think that, like, DeGrom and Scherzer are closer to one another in terms of, like, lack of flexibility right now than Bassett is, just because they're both coming off of something that, at least in Scherzer's case – and I know you said he threw 90 pitches – Um, but he also had this problem at the end of last season too. We need to remember when he pitched for the Dodgers and he had lower body issues through the end of the year. Like they don't want, you can't run any sort of risk that that's going to happen again and and mess with you in October.
0: Yeah. I just, I think that in, in that case, the extra day of rest that, you know, keeping them on turn, I think might actually help in that case, keep them a little more rested. I don't know. I mean, DeGrom has always said he likes throwing more between starts, that his part of his routine is throwing a lot. And I don't know, they've they've handled him with such care since he's come back and that he has in a lot of cases when they've been able to, they have had him pitch with an extra day at rest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I think that Oakland was like one of the first times he had pitched with normal rest um, in the 10 starts he's had so far, I think. Um, I think he's only had two or three turns where he's been on normal rest. Right. Uh, so I feel like letting him have just an extra day, especially coming back after a bad start, doesn't hurt. And same with Scherzer. I mean, we're still trying to work him back to 100% from his injury. I think he's very close to 100% being able to just leave it all out there right now. But... I, I, again, we're talking about a guy who's 38 years old and an extra day of rest isn't going to hurt him. Um, I think in the same way that it could screw with like a younger pitcher, maybe like, I think that someone, you know, there is no young pitcher in these, this five man rotation necessarily. There's David Peterson, but he's not in the rotation.
1: Yeah. He's um, done.
0: Like he's, yeah, he's not going to make another start this year unless wow. something happens in the, you know, the next few days. Um, but, like, if you screw with a younger pitcher's uh, routine, that might screw them up a little bit. But, like, DeGrom and Scherzer, I feel like, though they are habitual and ritualistic between starts and intense in their own ways, I think they would be flexible to having an extra day of rest. And it's there's really nothing you can do about it. If you had a game Thursday, it's, it's simple. You just have Bassett go Thursday, DeGrom Friday, and Scherzer Saturday, even though yeah. that, even though that forces you to use one of the quote unquote lesser starters um, against the Braves on Sunday, right? Um, whatever, I, you just gotta you just gotta go out and see. Um, and the
1: good news for the Mets, I think, do the Mets get Odorizzi on Friday? They get a lot of odor. I think they get Oda Rizzi on Friday. Let me check this. It might not be set in stone yet um yeah, no, it's all tbd um but let's do this real quick just investigating um Tuesday. so they have so Str- spencer striders
0: on the IL. right
1: bryce elder gonna... is going to get his starts now
0: yeah so striders missing the rest of the regular season um which is important because that means that they have to dip to their sixth starter bryce elder who's like been okay in some you know his, of his spots they haven't announced. According to the, the game day app, the MLB at that yeah. app, they haven't announced any starters for this week. But yeah. right. um, if we match it up, Bassett and uh, Rizzi, I believe, both pitched on Friday, and the which means that they would both be more in line to pitch Thursday, but the, neither team has a game on Thursday.
1: Yeah. So, to go back very quickly, how would you do this if you're Buck Showalter? How would you order these guys?
0: I think I would order them the same way they're ordered right now. I think I would go Bassett Friday, DeGrom Saturday, Scherzer Sunday. I think that's the – really the only – I don't know. I think that's the only way to do it so that it screws with the least amount of people possible.
1: Yeah. I think, honestly, I – I find it hard to argue that though. I also would be okay with the plan of DeGrom Friday, Bassett Saturday, Scherzer Sunday. If you don't want to space DeGrom out like too far, because they are each getting an extra day already because of the days off. Um, I would be okay with DeGrom getting that first game. Um, I would be okay with that too, but I think Bassett
0: would have to go Saturday because I don't want, I don't want Bassett having too much extra rest. Right.
1: Which is fair um so i'm like computing this still i'm trying to figure this out so if morton pitched charlie morton pitched today so it's probably going to be elder tomorrow and then freed on tuesday or no they don't play tomorrow i'm sorry yeah they do oh they do they do so it'd be Freed tomorrow or elder tomorrow free tuesday wednesday kyle wright off thursday so that slice that the Mets get will be some i would think like arrangement of Charlie Morton, Bryce Elder, Jake Rizzi, Unless they use a day off to try and swing freed in there somewhere. I think that
0: they could probably swing freed yeah for Sunday. If Freed pitches Wednesday then yet... yeah that'd be 3 days rest. Well, maybe not. Yeah, maybe that would – maybe there's
1: a – I think there's a chance the Mets miss both freed and right. Which would be huge. I mean, the Mets missing a lefty is especially, like, a big deal here. But, Not
0: a, a lefty who they've never hit in free. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's 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 been interesting, I guess, the, the lefty conversation we haven't brought up yet. I think the real only conversation about hitting left-handed pitchers is that Darren Ruff cannot hit left-handed pitchers. I think that's the conversation that is to be had. Vientos can either they, they will not have someone who will. This is just it's yeah. just a hole that we won't be able to fix. Yeah, it's
0: just kind of piece things together as they did. I mean, today they they did they, they did fine against points. they did fine against both A's lefties. Well, Cole Irvin pitched Friday. They you know they okay. I'll, the they guys who are here to hit
1: lefties have not. Good. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, I know. Even though Vientos hit his first career home run off Waldchuk, that's just that was a good matchup for him. It was a pitcher he's he probably saw when he was with the Yankee system, when Vientos was in AAA with Syracuse. Those two teams are in the same division and um probably you know Waldchuk came over the deadline so they he probably saw Waldichuk uh in Scranton uh at some point, maybe even same with JP Sears, but he didn't face Sears today. He didn't start today. Ah. Yeah, I mean Ruff
1: Ruff has he had a couple of singles in Oakland.
0: He That's... doesn't have an
1: extra base hit since like the first week of August.
0: Uh, was his was does he is he still sitting on the, the one double that yep,
1: it's that one double that he hit on a Friday when they were losing by like six runs? The Lucas Duda double, like the one, yeah, where he tucked it down in the right field corner. Yep. I have perfect memories of the one Darren. Where were you when Darren Ruff hit his one extra base hit as a mat? Oh, I was not, I was not watching that game. I, you also can't play the field. That's the other thing. I don't know how how long you you bothered yourself with the game on Saturday. I just decided to see how long how how this would how stupid this would get. Like too Darren Ruff does not know how to play right field. Like he, I will give him credit
0: in so far as saying that the previous handful of games he had been out there, he hadn't really screwed up. Um uh, but it was a little bit of an adventure on Saturday. It was like I, Michael Cadyer out there. I stuck with that game too long yeah that game had me irrationally pissed off
1: yeah I think really it's it's the fact that DeGrom didn't have it it's like how can how can this happen to us um and then yeah you're getting beat by you know like the machine and 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 Connor Capel and it's just kind of like I don't know I think that People have generally been on edge when the team doesn't win the games against teams like the Nationals, the Pirates, the Cubs, the A's. Like, and I get it. Uh, They also took two of three, and they took two or three from the Brewers, which we hadn't really talked about. They had a really good game after they clinched. Um, You know, not to not to move us into you know the earlier part of the week or anything, but really like. they, they still win against the good teams anyway. I think we're at the point now where they have just as good a chance of beating the Braves as they did at the beginning of August or any other time that they've come in to face them in a series. So not that worried about that. We'll see how the pitchers look.
0: Yeah. It's also wild that they still haven't played a close game in like weeks. Um, yeah. they I mean, yeah, either get is
1: not pitching anymore. Yeah.
0: They either get blown out or blow people out and, a big reason why they blow people out is because sometimes Pete Alonso has big games. We're going to talk about that, I think, next. So Pete Alonzo today, for the uninitiated, he's had a pretty good year. Um, had a good series in Oakland. Had a good series in Milwaukee. Had a big week. Pete had a big week. Um, couple of homers in Milwaukee. Couple of homers in Oakland. He's got 39 now, um, which is cool. He's one home run shy of his second career 40 home run season. Of course, he's not going to come close to breaking um, 53. Before we talk about the RBIs, because the RBIs is really cool, um, just from like a historical standpoint, I just realized that if he hits two more home runs, he will have broken the previous home run record. Or if he hits three more, because the, re- the record yeah. was 41. Just like very nonchalantly breaking the, the previous club record for single season home runs for a second time. Yeah, if he gets to 42 um which is neat um
1: yeah but it's crazy i mean it speaks volumes about this team historically on an offensive level but it also says a lot about just how big a deal pete Alonso is um like yeah
0: they they mentioned on the broadcast today this was after pete broke the club rbi record with his home run yeah. uh He had a five RBI day today, ho-hum, but the first two gave him 125, which broke the record that David Wright and Mike Piazza had shared for most RBIs by a Met in one single season with 124. So he now has 128, um, which shatters the record by four RBIs, which is cool. They said he's only the second uh, player are the only only the second player who currently holds uh a team's RBI's and home runs record for a single season? Yeah.
1: There's two of them, and Pete's one of them. I'm Which... trying to remember they mentioned who it was and it's totally slipping me. I Can't same. It
0: wasn't McGuire, was it? No, it's an active. It was about active players. Oh, it was active?
1: Yeah, it was oh, active. Oh, that makes
0: oh, more yeah. sense actually. I was like, damn, that's kind of crazy that There's only two of them right now, but that would make sense.
1: Yeah. Um, It might be. Oh, it's Stanton. That's right. Stanton on the Marlins. Yeah, it was Stanton with the Marlins. Um, I mean, one really just awesome Pete statistic. I mean, you mentioned the fact that he's now breaking like his own records too. He's the only Met um, to ever have, to ever record. Like if he gets to 40 home runs, he'll be the only Met with more than one 40 home run season to his name. Uh, he'll also he already is the only med to have more than 120 rbis in the season to his name uh on multiple occasions like no one else has done it more than once piazza did you know piazza had 99 david wright in 2008 but those guys you know never got to 120 any other times david wright had 116 in 2006 um no one, and like you know home runs rbis the collective stats like do they really mean that much if you know you don't play all the time or you play too much or whatever? Like maybe not, but I just think they're neat. I I I like the way that uh Pete Alonso looks in this team's record book right now. I think yeah. it's really cool.
0: I think I'm with you. Like you and I consider ourselves like engaged, smart fans who are with the modern you know, directions that the game is going in and we're well-versed on many of the new statistics and metrics and all that stuff. And We understand how, um, for a lot of people, a stat like RBI is in the same way that a stat like batting average might not be the most valuable statistic at which to judge a player's um, production. Uh, in terms of RBI specifically, it can be a product of, Who's hitting in front of you it can be a product of how good your team in general is at getting on base uh it could be a product of um just if you hit a lot of home runs you're gonna hit a lot of you're gonna drive in a lot of a lot more runs than a guy who doesn't hit a lot of home runs because those are free rbis right there every time you leave the ballpark but i also wholeheartedly agree with you that when someone does something like this it still is cool yeah. And 125 RBIs is a lot.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: 128 RBIs is a lot. It's actually the most right now, both in the national league and tied for the most in major league baseball. The Yankees. I don't think Aaron judge has driven in a run tonight. They're on Sunday night baseball. They're playing as we're chatting right now, but oh,
1: yeah, well, that means that he'll get to 61 because it's happening while we're podcasting. Oh, but, probably.
0: Uh, yeah. But uh, like, after Alonso cleared the bases with uh, with that late inning double mm-hmm. in the eighth inning, um, at after that, after he had driven in RBIs three, four, and five for the day and got up to one twenty eight on the season, he and Judge were tied for the major league lead in runs batted in. Yeah. and Judge is having a historical type of season.
1: Right. So yeah. it's and also for someone like Pete, who I think fans are probably a little unfair towards when it comes to, like, his approach with runners in scoring position. Like, how many times do you think have you seen Pete Alonso put up a bad at bat with guys in scoring position and you find yourself thinking or saying to other people, like, you know, he really just needs to, like, be smarter when there's a guy on third base. Like, I feel like he gets that a lot. I feel like we're very critical of Pete when he doesn't produce when there's someone 90 feet away, and yet here we are with, like, just – this absurd sum of runs batted in, like he's, he's, he's definitely, I think made a point that we need to acknowledge when it comes to the whole like clutch factor or whatever. And obviously like, I'm not saying that RBI measures someone's clutchness per se, but most people who would even think to use that argument would point to that number. And ultimately, like, if you're doing that, you don't really have a ground for it anymore because the guy is leading the national league uh he's done it more than any other met in franchise history uh you should get an extension probably soon oh yeah lock the guy up this is not the season or the off season to I think worry about keeping the guys that you do have it's going to be a lot of keeping the guys who you might not have next year but like you come into spring training with everything taken care of um you know and a roster put together you should try and negotiate a deal with the guy um oh i'm with you once too
0: i'm with you i want to just finish up the point on the rbis yes um is that listen the mets are the second best team in the national league at getting on base they're the second highest on base percentage of the national league they are constantly putting guys in front of alonzo like Mm -hmm. he's always batting with guys on base and pete's approach whether he's batting with the bases empty or with three runners aboard is always the same. It is, I'm going to get something in the middle of the zone to hit. I am going to put a hole in the fence. Yeah. I'm not going to hit the ball over the fence. I'm going to put a hole in the fence. I'm going to hit the ball through the fence. I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. I'm going to hit it over someone's head. And if it leaves the ballpark, that's, I did my job. Yeah. So that approach never changes with Pete. And Yes, he's had more opportunities because the Mets are so good at getting on base this year with guys like Canna and Nimmo and McNeil are all top 10 in the National League and on base percentage. Lindor is getting on base a lot this year. He's driving – Lindor's above 100 RBIs too himself.
1: Yeah, it's it, that's the other thing too. It's like it's not like Pete is getting that many opportunities because sometimes Lindor is like clearing before Pete comes up. I mean, ha- didn't it not happen today? Yeah, it where... did happen today.
0: It literally happened today where Lindor had a run scoring hit ahead of Alonzo and then Alonzo hit a ball 450 feet. Right. The other thing I think is really cool is Pete, the goober that he is always knows what's going on. He always is aware. Like, I mean, we, we forget sometimes that he cried after he hit the record breaking home run.
1: Yeah, he did do that. That was kind of funny.
0: When he hit fifty three in twenty nineteen, he yeah. he had tears in his eyes when he came out back out to the field. And today, I mean, it was a home run that you know it broke the game open and whatever. Uh, but it's like it's the it's like the fourth inning, Pete, and he's um, running around the bases like with his arms up and like yeah, he, that was I an I did it. it. That was an I
1: did it home run. That was an oh my god,
0: I just did that. I yeah. oh, the records mine kind of a moment for him. Like he is aware of the record he's aware of where he stands in the history books right now and it's a cool moment for him and it also you got to tack on all his history is like he was one of those prove it guys like no one ever you know he he kind of was like a nothing college bat for a while in his college career and he really had to remake his swing and and tailor it to higher levels of pitching and i mean he was on the cape cod league Um, in, I guess, like 2015, um, the the year before the Mets drafted him, I think he didn't hit a home run in like a full season on Cape Cod, uh, with the Woodbats. And what I've heard about him from that season is that he was just a completely different player, that the work ethic was incredible still, which you would come to expect from Pete, but, you know, at this point, but he just, the swing was not good. And it—he it, was a big guy. He had lots of strength. He hit the ball hard. He just hit the ball on the ground a lot, and and wasn't able to really find that that groove where he can get a ball up into a jet stream and and
1: lift it over a ball, you know, over a yeah. fence. He slugged 286 in the Cape Cod League. Oh, he was terrible here. Yeah, it's really bad. That's I
0: that's say true. here, even though I'm not on Cape Cod anymore. But like he was—he was terrible on Cape Cod. Right. For born, I think he was with born. Yeah, I was born. Yeah, the now reigning champions, the Born Braves, um, hopefully the only Braves to win a championship this year. Uh, but I hope
1: they keep him around. Like I think that yeah.
0: there's. to the he extension can- chat. Yeah. yeah, I I was just gonna say that because he's gone through a lot where he's had like at every level he's had to prove it. You know, they didn't bring him up in 2018 because quote unquote his defense. Uh, and then you know he you know showed the whole league who thought he wasn't that good of a prospect by hitting 53 home runs and. Now, when he does this kind of thing, you've just got to kind of factor that into your mind. Where you're like, oh, this guy's kind of a goofball. But to him, it's like he's constantly had to prove himself as the best at his spot every step of the way. And he continues to do that. Yeah. And they should absolutely pay him for that.
1: Yeah, and I think if anything, it's also just, it would be nice to know that he'll be around for a while. I mean, you, you're looking at something very special. And I know I mentioned this when Jacob deGrom... Uh, was first coming back about what it means to have a really good core and a really fun team that you actually keep together. Um, I still maintain that like, unless Jacob deGrom really, really crumbles from this point on and it just becomes too much of a cost, like maybe then you let him walk, but I think it's important that you keep him around. I think it's important that you keep this whole team as, as far as you can. I think it's important that you keep this team together, right? Like maybe um, you need, someone to do a job a little bit differently than Taiwan Walker next year. And like Walker needs to go. Like, I'm not saying you have to keep the same 26 man roster, but like the people that are putting things in place that are making this team a cut above need to be here. Pete Alonso is far and away. One of those people who's done that the most. Um, I think Lindor is the other bat here. That's doing that. He already has his extension. I think Pete should get his due. I think there's also a conversation potentially about McNeil getting his if you want to talk about hitters who, who've sort of earned that, especially with the way he's been hitting this season. But um, I mean, I think Pete has a much, he has a greater chance of, I think commanding more on the open market and generally triggering more competition that you want to take it. You want to be ahead of that. You want to make him an offer that he will want to take before other teams, make him, um, you know, potentially greater offers. Not that Pete – also, you know, I mean, Pete should do what he wants. Like, this isn't my way of saying that Pete should take a lesser deal or whatever. Um, he feels like a- – he have an exclusive opportunity to negotiate.
0: Yeah, and they should take advantage of that. He also yeah. does feel like a guy who might be a little more loyal than the average player, um, vibes-wise, I guess. I agree with you. I think that this there's a lot of impending free agents on this team, and it stands to reason you can't keep all of them. But there's a lot they should do their – they're very darndest to keep and pete and mcneil are not impending free agents uh signing those guys to extensions specifically pete right now i think is important um i i will say that you know like edwin diaz you want to keep around because without him the bullpen is in tatters and he's become a fan favorite this year with the walk-up song and and all that stuff you want to keep him around if you can um Mm Degrom is Degrom, and if he continues to be Degrom through October, pay the damn guy his cash. You don't know, keep him around if he, if he can. Uh, and then, like, because outside of Degrom and Scherzer, and you might be losing Degrom, the starting rotation really isn't built up at all. Um, with Carrasco and Walker also impending free agents, as is Chris Bassett, I think it's you know it's important to keep Chris Bassett around too. I think that's the guy that I would want to keep around outside of DeGrom for the rotation, just to make sure that you have a guy at the very least, who's the, you know, a number two behind Scherzer, a workhorse, a guy who's a really smart and pitchers seem to really like talking to. I, I think like Edwin, Jake and Bassett are like guys you got to keep around. Um, and then like, if you can find a way to ah, like Lugo, I don't know. He's been he
1: good. another Lugo. has Respect- been
0: fine lately. I, it's just, I don't know. You got to figure out the There's bullpen.
1: Always a problem with him. That's- we're
0: not. We're not. We're not off season posting yet. It's no, just, no. way. The bullpen is the the pitching staff in general is going to have a lot of holes to fix come uh you know November fifth or whatever. Um.
1: I would think maybe as far as like what the framework of a good deal for Pete would be right now, like if Freddie Freeman is getting $27 million a year for six years, it's $162 million deal that he signed with the Dodgers. Pete is probably, I mean, Olsen is making $21 million, but we also know that he's making $21 million because the Braves are doing something. Like, I don't know what, but that's the 21 million thing is a Braves thing. I think you probably need to work between those two numbers as far as average annual. Like, I would think maybe, like, you go 25 for, like, 25 million a year for seven years, maybe eight years, with the idea being that you're giving him a few more years with that money guaranteed um, to sort of tide him over. Although, at the same time, I think there is definitely an argument that, like, first baseman or little bit easier to to plug in and have you know year to year and you don't need to have a guy who's doing that for 25 million a year but also like there are other costs here like the cost of uh losing someone that people really like so he's 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 hitting arb 2 this year think so i need to check he began his career obviously they like went a year of the service time um to call him up in early 2019 so I don't think he has like that extra year. It says earliest free agent. He's ARB eligible this year.
0: Oh, he's ARB one this year. Yeah. Oh, that changes things. Okay. Um, Because I, I was thinking more along the same lines as you. I was thinking like six years in the ballpark of like 23 to 25 a year. Because I thought he had two ARB years left. But the fact that he has three, I was going to say if he has two ARB years left, that, that 23 to 25 a year neighborhood, but you backloaded a little bit because... You want those RBers to be a little bit cheaper, a little more team friendly, yeah. Because you're eating out free agent years, uh, and those free agent years are more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he has three RBYs, then I think you got to go seven years. Yeah, um, you wanna you wanna buy out like four, like the optimal extension for a guy like Alonzo, I think has you buying out like four free agent years, but you're also gonna have to eat those arbitration years that's that's the goal of um an extension for someone who's just hitting arbitration is you are taking all the risk out of arbitration you're preventing them from actually having to go to to, you know like we saw with stroman and the blue jays and like various times over the last few years arbitration could be very detrimental to a player's relationship with a team um And if you can avoid that at any cost, like the Braves have done that with everyone, the Braves have done that with every single one of their young stars is just taking arbitration out of the equation, just extend them by any means necessary. Um, And, you know, the players will just sign those extensions in Atlanta for cheap. I don't friggin' know what goes on there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you just take arbitration out of the equation and that costs something to the team. It also costs something to the player because if Pete Alonso turns himself into not just a great first baseman, but the best first baseman in baseball, if he starts hitting 60 home runs while he's still arbitration eligible, then his arbitration years are going to get a whole lot more expensive. Um, So the team is taking on risk in case that, you know, doesn't happen and you're paying him maybe a little bit more than you would for a normal arbitration player, if you've extended him, but the player's also taking on risk because they're locked into that, that money now. And I think it's, but I think in in Pete's case, I think Pete is like a perfect sweet spot extension candidate Mm -hmm. because he's a a loyal player that fans really like he's effective. He is a cornerstone to your franchise and your offense and he still has three years of uh, of arbitration left. Like, yeah, totally, totally eat those
1: years. I, and I think he plays it's, a I think position. It's, he plays a position that is not necessarily a guarantee to command a whole lot. You can team. find home. You can find home runs. Yeah,
0: I don't think you could find a, a first baseman who hits forty five every year. Very easily, you know, and yeah. does it with good enough defense and a, a likability to him that aids the franchise in a unique way and you know having that prestige of a guy who's at the all-star game every year and and likes you know he's in the home run derby every year too i think that that matters to a franchise because uh, it keeps you a little more relevant
1: throwback to when he lost the home run derby this year i forgot that he lost this year
0: yeah it's because there was there was no there was no um no reason for him to win he wasn't he didn't have to beat a cancer patient or anything
1: yeah that's true i guess not Right. It was, well, he would have to beat uh Julio Rodriguez. Who's like, he's, he's a kid, right? Yeah. I mean, he's more or like, it's the closest thing to a child that Pete would come across. He should have, he should have probably put more into it. Um, yeah. I think honestly, I think that the season that Aaron judge is having on the heels of that extension offer that he rejected is probably going to shake up the way that these negotiations happen between a player especially a player who hits a lot of home runs and their team going forward, because every team knows now that like home runs are the currency. Like that's how people are scoring. That's how teams are basically driving and um, judge bet on himself. And it's going to be like, it's going to be crazy to see how much money he gets offered, particularly how much the Yankees offer him simply to keep him in their colors going forward. Um, Yeah. We're witnessing the greatest,
0: I think the single greatest prove it season ever by yeah. any athlete period.
1: It's one of the best seasons ever prove it or no prove it. It's like Shohei Otani is having such a good season, but I think that it really speaks volumes to how much like better of a season the judge is having that he's the MVP candidate right now. Like he's been so good. Cause he he's, he's based, I mean, he's a triple crown candidate too. It's, he might he, he probably wins the triple crown right now. Is he leading an average right now? I think he's like 4 points above like 3.16 or something. He's I, totally in the realm of winning the batting title. He was he
0: was in the lead uh, as as uh, a couple days ago. He might still be. I mean, he right now he is 1 for 2 today. He's at 3.14 mm-hmm. as we stand right now and I think his next closest competition was Luis Arias. Yeah, um And let's see how the Twins did today. Luis Arise did not play today. That uh,
1: complicates things. I mean, what it does is it definitely, like, puts – I mean – He's tied with Bogarts right now.
0: Okay, this is interesting. This, Yeah, he could win the Triple Crown, but he and Bogarts are both at 314 right now, and Arise is at 313. So you have those three three guys bunched up together uh, average-wise – Um, but he's gonna, I mean, he's no one's even close to him across baseball and home runs. Like, he has 18 more home runs than Kyle Schwarber. And I think besides Schwarber, I think Pete is the next guy on that list.
1: Now, Pete's in the lead. It's basically the five is like you have Alonzo, Jordan Alvarez, and Austin Riley, like all sort of scrapping for third place. And then you have Schwarber, who's in second place. And then, like, a mile atop everybody is Aaron Judge. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, uh, Mookie Betts is in there. No, he's not. That's so weird. Mookie no. Betts. I'm showing you right now. This is a, obviously an audio medium. Can you yes. see that? That it says Alvarez, but it's got Mookie Betts' picture.
1: Yeah, that's strange. I, I, MLB at bats a weird app. They do. Oh, they things. did
0: the same thing with Paul Goldschmidt and uh, Rowdy Telez's face. That's odd. Yeah. So it's judges at 60, Schwarber's at 42, with the second most in baseball. Alonzo at 39 is third, and then you have Jordan, Austin Riley, Mike Trout, all sitting with 37, and then Christian Walker on the Diamondbacks having a great low-key season has yeah, 36.
1: He's having a, good, a real stat-cast level season too.
0: Yeah, it's and then Betts and, Gold, Betts and Goldschmidt with uh, 35. So, like, no one else is even coming close on, on the home run total. So he's going to far and away lead in home runs. I believe he's up by a substantial number in RBIs. All it takes is him just having a, you know, a strong week and hoping that Bogarts and Arias make more outs than he does over the next
1: I week. Really, I really hope he gets to 62. Like I've, he, I've, w- he should. I know he that he has that ever rooted for a Yankee to do anything. I really want him to do it. I just think it'd be great. I think tonight is his last chance to do it at home, if I'm not mistaken. Do they not have more home games? It makes sense if that's the case, because I know that Yankee fans were like very, very like on edge that he didn't Homer yesterday. And ultimately they want these things to happen in front of them more than anything else.
0: Yeah. They're Um, in Toronto and okay. Well, they're in Toronto for a series and then they come home for the Orioles.
1: Oh, then they'll be fine. Like what are they, what are they crying about that? Well,
0: I, I guess the assumption is that three games in Toronto's a pretty hitter-friendly ballpark, and the Blue Jays pitching staff is, like, only okay. So, uh, he could hit some homers in Toronto, but I don't know. I mean,
1: we'll who it. knows? We'll I do, do
0: I do know exactly what you mean, that the Yankees fans were on edge. I had um, a friend of mine um, who is a big Yankee fan was at, I guess, Friday's game against the Red Sox, yeah. and – Ah, uh, paid like a hundred bucks for his ticket with his friends, and like really was hoping to see Judge hit one, and he didn't see him hit a home run. Obviously, almost
1: hit one on Friday though. He hit yeah. that one to the track like hundred eight miles per hour. Yeah, like he came, and it would have won the game. It would have torn the roof off Yankee Stadium. He oh
0: my that. god! Yeah,
1: um, um, but I, yeah, should have. It should have happened. It's really ridiculous that it he, didn't happen almost
0: took Matt Barnes straight away center. Yeah. I mean, but like my friend was saying that, you know, he's let down to not have seen the, he saw a win and he was happy with that, but he was let down to have spent that much money and not seen judge hit a home run. And, uh, and then he didn't hit one on Saturday. And um, my friend actually said, he, he goes that I think the judge is letting the pressure of doing it at home, get to him which I don't know how true that is. He's not getting very much to hit in this series. That's some real copium to like, try to put yourself in
1: doing everything under the pressure of the
0: walk year. Right. Yeah. He's doing this under a giant amount of pressure. I think he's
1: had his best. He's hit so many
0: home runs in that ballpark this year. That's the
1: point of the art is that he's doing this under absurd pressure. I don't think pressure he's, going to get to him at all that's i don't know i mean
0: yeah i mean i i i don't subscribe to the idea that aaron judge hasn't hit a home run in the last three games because he's afraid
1: new york because yeah
0: new york because he can't can't handle the pressure of doing it at home he has to go disappear to toronto to do it there i i don't know about that i think he'll hit i think he'll wind up with like 63 maybe 64 like i think he gets the record um pretty handle- Like I think he'll clear it by a and fair And Michael
1: moment. K will get to call it which like he wanted to do and was like With... scared that he wouldn't get to do on Apple TV you know like Apple TV was going to cuck him out of that and like that's not what happened at all he'll be fine everyone's going to get what they want
0: The visceral hate that the Apple TV crew received on Friday night was so over the top and I think what do you mean? I think it was it was mean. It was so mean-spirited. Yeah. Did you see the interaction? I think you did. The yeah, interaction. With Katie Nolan. Yeah, the intera- so the booth was Stephen Nelson, who yeah. does, he's like, I guess, their number one for Apple TV games. He does some studio stuff for MLB Network. He's, I think he's the new intentional talk guy after Chris Rose left. Katie Nolan, who is like one of the most famous sports personalities on the planet right now, and certainly one of the more famous female sports personalities, and they're starting to work her into baseball in these Apple TV booths as an analyst and then multiple time world champion, multiple time, all-star noted, very good, very smart player, Hunter Pence, who is like a decent analyst and has been doing media side stuff pretty much since he left baseball.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Like those are objectively, those are three professionals. They have not done a lot of play by play booth live game experience stuff, especially not together this season is their you know this is this first season we've been doing this apple tv stuff and that's this is a booth that they've probably only worked together six seven times maybe um it's an okay booth it's a fine booth it's like acceptable it's better than a lot of the national broadcast booths yeah people were being so mean about this and then there was that one guy he was like completely irrelevant some random dude on twitter who I guess like works vaguely adjacent to sports media. And he said something about the Apple booth and he was like, how, you know, raise your hand if you didn't know who any of these people were, which yeah, first was, of all, yeah, if you don't know who Steven Nelson is, I could understand that. But anyone who's watching that game has probably heard of Hunter Pence, especially if they've watched a baseball game in the last 12 years. He's uh, very distinct looking. Yeah. I mean, he was a really good player too. Yeah. Uh, and then... If you watch a lot of sports media, which if you're, you know, taking part of discourse about a broadcast booth on Twitter, you're probably pretty familiar with sports media, at least enough to feel like you have to voice an opinion. Yeah. as I am right now, I don't, you know, that irony's not lost on me. Uh, you probably know who Katie Nolan is. So the fact that he's making that tweet in the first place is r- remarkably hypocritical because he guaranteed, uh, before six months ago at least knew two of those three people. Sure. And the second part of it is that Katie Nolan responded to the tweet and said, Eric, we've hung out before. Yeah. They were friends. And he just felt like he needed to get the clip. Doubled down. He doubled down on it. He doubled down. He was, I didn't even like, recognize you, just, you Katie. I'm he sorry. Was,
1: he was like, well, he was first of all, he was like, I didn't recognize you, which like all right, you didn't recognize her? Fine. Like, just, you know, you tell yourself that. But then he just he, he went on about, and I'm sure the thread has been deleted. Um, the initial tweet was deleted
0: after he got called yeah, out by K-Post.
1: I mean, the basic gist of this, and I think it was a commonly held opinion by a lot of baseball fans, particularly Yankee fans, was like, I don't want this moment being called by someone who isn't Michael K. This is Michael K's moment. And it's like, you know, that's not how it works. It, and contra- also, it, yeah. it contrasts
0: wildly with the experience that we had with Albert Pujols. Yes. Uh, because Pujols had by far the much more um, important milestone that he was chasing. 700th career home run. Uh, and the Cardinals on Friday also had an Apple TV game. And while we were hearing clamoring from sports media people and Yankee fans, and I saw petitions on Twitter to, and there was, you know, there was even um, negotiations between the Yes Network and Apple TV. Yeah. To try to get Michael K in that booth, Um, which I believe K wound up actually turning down and saying, no, no, no. It's like, let, let the Apple guys do it. It's fine. Um, Which like to his credit, he deserves credit for that. Right, But on the flip side, nobody in, uh, nobody on, on planet Earth, as far as I saw, was trying to get Dan McLaughlin, the Cardinals TV guy, who, much like Michael Kay, is not my favorite to listen to. Sure, No one was trying to get him in that Apple TV booth in case Albert Pujols hit two home runs on Friday night. Okay. And then guess what happened? Judge didn't hit a home run. A big hoopla had been made about nothing. And then Albert Pujols hit two home runs and got to 700 he hit 699 and hit 700 and guess who called them it was Mets radio broadcaster their number two guy behind Howie Rose Wayne Randazzo who has I don't think he started the season doing Apple TV games I think he's only picked it up a couple times in the last couple of months but he's been doing them he's been doing them and he's been doing a good job with them and yeah. Wayne, as we know, because Mets, ha- Mets fans have been listening to Wayne for four or five years at this point, Wayne is good at his job.
1: And Wayne nailed both calls. I think Wayne might be better for TV than he is for radio. Like, I think it works better. But I think just, like, he, had, he, he made a great call. Um, it was really good. Uh, I think that, I also think it's just kind of, like, dopey to, to decide that, like, this big moment, needs to be called by such and such person or it, it it doesn't register with me as important anymore like it you know I mean it, it does it really mean that much that like Michael K is gonna call it? I mean John Sterling would have called it anyway like yeah you no know, like it, it it I think it was just and it was very I think silly to like cling to that in the middle of a very important thing and I don't know maybe it's just because like we don't get to experience record-shattering home runs and we don't really get to experience like 100 win teams and like really special things but like if the Mets win the World Series this year John Smoltz is going to be the guy doing the color commentary when they win the World Series but I'm certainly not going to like complain because I had to listen to John Smoltz the whole time like you know what I mean like that that that's that's sort of a it, it I don't know I think that I'm with you things to get mad
0: about i'm with you i mean i remember in 2019 going back to when alonzo hit 53 it just happened to be an inning that Howie was not calling it was a wayne inning it was you a know.
1: fox sports broadcasted game too Wasn't it Was Fo- oh, yeah
0: it's it's the same it's practically the same situation yeah. in a lot of regards to this judge stuff because that was a fox game uh i don't even remember i don't i don't know the last time i heard that tv call but i know wayne's call right because well that was the flip side of it is that the radio broadcast got a lot more heat in the in in the fan base and in the industry because it was a national game if Gary Cohen called that moment I mean that's the call that people know uh, Mm -hmm. when they go back and watch Alonso's 53rd home run but now we know it to be you know something that Wayne called because it was a national game and I just I remember people being like oh it's kind of goofy that like this big big moment that you know first Mets record that's been broken in a long time first Mets player to break a significant record in a very long time and uh it's not Howie who's calling it that's kind of goofy but like Wayne Wayne calls the big moment pretty well and I think he nailed the Pujols home runs I think he really really nailed it uh he was prepared I mean that's a lot of broadcasters will get caught up in that moment and get maybe a little too excited or get their words jumbled or what have you. But he he knew exactly what was in front of him and he was ready to call it. And yeah. I think Wayne did a great job.
1: And he let it breathe. Like he let the call yeah. breathe too. It was great. It was, it was a masterclass. I mean, I'm Under- not the broadcasting guy, but like it was even, I knew that this thing was a good call. And like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not Wayne's biggest fan. I think we've talked about this. Like, I think sometimes he gets too swept up over the radio calling games, and he ends up like taking on this accent that makes me kind of like uncomfortable. But that didn't happen in the Pujols thing. And like, yeah, he's
0: a he's a big head voice guy, and yeah, and, yeah. I mean, th- that happens. Some guys are like that when they w- they'll raise the pitch maybe instead
1: of, uh, like, yeah, whatever. He's young; he'll figure it out or whatever. Like, and he did a good, he did a great job when it mattered. So I'm I'm yeah. totally underrated like,
0: skill also yeah. is letting up letting a call breathe like that yeah. um like <laughs> you watch half the broadcasters in the league the i mean carl ravage is calling the sunday night baseball that guy never shuts up so yeah. uh, letting a call breathe especially a big call in a big moment with a big crowd where you really have that crowd noise to fall back on call the play give the significance tell me that was his 700th home run and then just like Nobody in that booth has to say a word Mm -hmm. for another minute. Let him around the bases. Let him hug Yadier Molina and, like, let me just watch. That is the most important skill that a broadcaster can ever have is knowing when to shut up. And, I mean, that's how he rose. I'm sure if Wayne didn't already know how to do that, I'm sure he's learned just by observing Howie because Howie's really tweeted. Good at yeah. He
1: tweeted like I got the best advice ever from Howie when I asked him what to do if that happened. He said, just shut up and 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 you know, enjoy it. Um I didn't see that. That's really, and, uh, that's it's really a, nice. It's a good one. I mean, he and Howie have such a, a fun relationship, which I like a lot. Um, pretty underrated, like I guess, facet of how they do things in the booth. It's also crazy to think just separately for one moment before we move on, like. That might be the last time we ever see someone hit seven hundred home runs. Oh, uh, it's crazy! Like that was a really big deal, and it was not supposed to happen. Like he had how many homers did he have going into the year? Like six hundred eighty, and he was forty years old. He needed to
0: hit. Old. He needed to hit twenty one. Yeah, he hasn't. He did hasn't it. reached that Literally total. Did it.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. Good for Albert Pujols. Um, we'll never see something like that again. It makes most of what the Cardinals do worth it. So yeah. This was the
0: tweet. It was how he did give me the best advice the other day. Just call it and shut up. That's, That's right.
1: Great. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's good advice. All right. Well, uh, well, let's uh, remember some guys. Okay. So remembering guys, I don't know. I don't know this week. This week, nothing's really coming to mind. I mean, there's. I don't know. I'm gonna let you go first on this one.
1: Well, tomorrow is gonna be the anniversary of when they clinched in 2015, I'm pretty sure, right? That was the 20th. Today's the 25th. You'll be listening to this on the 26th. So if you're listening to this, you're listening on the anniversary of the clincher uh, in Cincinnati. Um, pretty fun game, I guess, for them, right? Uh, the lineup that they put out, like, the day after they clinched, though, pretty special stuff. So I guess if you're listening to this, On a Tuesday, right, September 27th, uh, you would have, you would be listening on the anniversary of this game that I'm talking about, because the lineup card that they put out, I think instead of remembering one guy, I'm going to remember this lineup card, Um, because on top of the fact that we might have remembered most of these guys at one point already, I think it's just a very funny arrangement. Jacob deGrom was the starting pitcher. Uh, The batting order was as follows. Juan Lagares, is center field leading off. Fine. Standard. Kelly Johnson batting second playing shortstop. Oh my God. I forgot
0: he played shortstop that day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> th- you know what? Let's just do Kelly Johnson shortstop. Let's just do Kelly Johnson shortstop. Oh my God. <laughs> that was, it was, so he was the shortstop. Conforto played left and batted third, which at the time was probably like the big deal because he was a rookie and you know, we knew we knew how like terry collins felt about like giving rookies you know the three spot in the order um kevin plowacki batted cleanup uh kirk newenheist was the right fielder he batted fifth eric campbell went three for four batting sixth and playing third base dulson herrera went three for four batting seventh anthony record played first base and batted eighth Of course, he did um but kelly johnson shortstop man i don't know that that's
0: I was going to say who batted ninth, but there was no DH then.
1: I've already
0: grown so accustomed to a DH league. That's crazy.
1: Grom went two for three, by the way, with two runs batted in. They won oh, the game. Okay. They won that game eight to one. And Jay Grudegrom had two RBIs. Did, um, did
0: Dilson have a home run in that game
1: or just like a, an RBI double or something? He had an extra base hit. But... Three for four with a home run and a double. There we go. Yeah. He homered. Kevin Ploiecki homered. Um... Good, good game for them, but yeah, Kelly Johnson playing shortstop, uh, quite a success. I don't really know what this says of the Reds that year if this was the lineup they were up against and they lost eight to one. But the end of twenty fifteen, like offensively, like like everything went right for them during the regular season, except until Max Scherzer no hit them. But everything up to that point, they really just had a two month period where everybody was hitting the ball. Um, Oh, that was yeah. a lot of fun. They really didn't stop
0: during the stretch run in 2015. That was a fun couple of months. Yeah. Um, they put it on Cespedes
1: because um, he was, like, the guy that came in and, you know, affected the change. But really, like – Everyone was good. Duda was hot. Darnot was hot. Wright was hot. Um, uh, Murphy. Murphy. Murphy was not was playoff in... Murphy. He was not playoff yeah. Murphy, but he was still good. He was hitting for extra bases around that time. Like, Murphy before the playoffs was – basically like the prequel to Murphy in the playoffs. He was really good um, around then, and doesn't get a whole lot of credit for that. Um, Granderson was good. I think even Kadiar had some pretty good games strung in there before the end of the year, which is funny to me just because like, you know, never really seemed to have many of them. Um, But yeah, everyone was like getting their piece. So that was cool. And and that box score is just that lineup card is, is something else.
0: It really is. Um, I'm thinking, I often like will think about what teams the Mets are playing that week. If they're playing a team they don't play that often, I'll try to go in that vein. And the Mets, as of right now, have, there's a lot of Oakland A's going on on the Mets roster right now with, you know, Chris Bassett and Marcana and even Starling Marte. But the guy, there's a there's some interesting guys who have been both Mets and A's. And mm-hmm. I think we should go through some, maybe even build out a lineup. Go and do this, leaving out guys like Cespedes and Mike Piazza. None
1: of the good guys. None of the good players.
0: Yeah, get the good. You know, Ron Darlings. Get those guys out of here. Ricky Henderson. Get him out of here. Jed Lowry is the shortstop. Oh God. Or second baseman. Uh, yeah. Marco Scudero could play shortstop. That's before.
1: right. Yeah, it's actually a good – that's a good plug. But Scudero – You're writing this down for me? I am writing this down. Let's yeah. go.
0: Okay. I mean, we can have – who do we want catching? Do we want – we can have uh, Anthony Racker catch.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else, but he's the guy that really sticks out here. I think – yeah. Yeah, let's have Racker catch. Um, yeah,
0: we can have Mike Davis play some first
1: base for us. Yeah, we can do Mike Davis at first base. Uh, I think Eric Campbell was in Oakland a at one point, although he didn't get like he wasn't like a regular. So that that it's um
0: it, uh, he's not on this list.
1: Yeah, I, he might have been in their system. I don't think he ever played
0: for them in the majors. Um. Oh, by the way, Aaron Judge is uh, leading off the bottom of the seventh, and the uh, Yankees and Red Sox are
1: entering a ring delay. That'll be fun to see, I guess, where that goes. We can't stay on the podcast doing the live play-by-play no, 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 no. of the rain delay.
0: Can you imagine if you're at that game and it's pouring and it's like doesn't look like it's going to let up for an hour and you're like, all right, let's just leave. And then the rain delay ends an hour later and Judge leads off with a home run. Kicking myself for weeks about that. Um, okay, so we, we can have Lowry play second and Scooter yeah. will play short.
1: I've, I got a proposal. I say we put Jay Payton in center field. I'm, I'm,
0: we can put Jay Payton in center field. I think the outfield is not going to be complete without Jason Pridey
1: out there somewhere. That's right. We Well, I guess he's the center fielder, right? Maybe Payton should play like right field. We can have Payton play right. Pridey um, played a mean center field. And we, we really need to think about left field. Do you have this list open? I'm I'm literally just I do, I do. Right. It's uh
0: it's on ultimatemets.com. You can oh. you can actually just like that you can do this with any team on their site, it's great. Um we still need a third baseman. We need another outfielder. If we have Pridey and Peyton in the outfield, well, we have with Rajay Davis, we have Colin Cowgill. Oh, Cowgill, wait, okay. Left field should be more cowgill. We have Scott Hairston is an option here too. Oh, yeah. Oh, out, the outfield is looking. Billy McKinney's an out, option
1: for the outfield, too. I like that. Um, I say, because it's left field, right? Unless we want to do, like, unless we want to move Pryde out of the simulation, uh, because Calgill is probably more of a center fielder than a left fielder.
0: We could also go with uh, Chris Young,
1: the hitter. That's right. We could. In fact, they did promise him playing time when he was a Met, right? Wasn't that like part of the contract that he signed with them? Like if he's on the team he needs to play, should play center field. I I'll do that. I'll Wouldn't move you go with on. Pry- I'll do-
0: How about I like Pride and Wright, Chris Young and center. I think Jay Payton might have been too good for this. Yeah, maybe.
1: That's so, true. I didn't I don't remember him like being that good with Oakland, but yeah. Well, he was good with the Mets.
0: You know, he was at he yeah. was at old
1: timers day. So like yeah, but Josh Tolley was at old-timers day. You're not going to tell me that Josh Tolley couldn't be on this list if he – That's a good point. Is. Um, I'm not really seeing anyone who could play third for us. Ty Wigginson? Was he, was he in Oakland Day at one point?
0: I don't think so. Unless this list is – it's not this list is not outdated because this year's guy's Bassett's on here. You could put Lowry at third, I guess. You could, but then you need to find another infielder um oh man running out of position players that i i think are good fodder for this exercise yeah well
1: dave kingman is here uh he wasn't an he He was too good he's like one of the few guys i think who hit 40 homers as a met
0: yeah kevin mitchell too good tony phillips willie randolph
1: randolph could be good I don't know. What about pitchers? Well, pitchers will have a. Uh, I don't think we could.
0: You know, we could try to fill out a full roster of pitchers if we. That would be extra. Uh, yeah.
1: Just who's the starter? Who's the who's the closer?
0: Um, we have a couple of options for relievers here. Jerry Blevins, of course. Chad uh, Bradford, Tyler Clippard, Chad Bradford, um, Wilmer Font, Jerry's Familia, Dana Eveland, Octavio Dotel, Aaron Harang, possible for the starter role as is rich hill uh jason isringhausen played for both um we've got oh i just saw a good one i got tommy malone uh erico flaherty
1: oh erico flaherty has to be somewhere on that list right yeah kenny rogers is also an option for starter yeah, they have some interesting – It's. I think the Mariners are definitely the team that, like, is doing this the most now among any team, like just taking Mets and putting them on their team. But Oh, absolutely. What about Bobby Wall? We got him in the Familia trade, no? Wasn't he, like – I think he was he, in the Familia trade, yeah. Yeah, it was, like – I'm pretty sure it was Familia for him and, like, Will Toffey. Yeah, Will Toffee, um, who got into the big leagues this year with the Phillies, right? I think he did get, yeah, he did get an at batter too. He was with the Giants and then went. To oh, the you know who's going to play our last infield position? Mike Bordick. Mike Bordick, yeah. That's a, that's a poll. That was, um, does, yeah, that was does trade? Does Kevin yeah. Apier fit in anywhere in here? Starting pitcher? Yeah, he'd be a starter. He was, he was a good starter for like one year, I think, but it was, it was not a playoff year. So like, you know no one really uh did we much. not
0: did we not remember emil brown recently i feel like we chatted about
1: emil brown recently well we chatted about him um we chatted about him like i think because his one appearance with the team was like didn't he like run past someone and get called out for like passing the runner
0: something like that he's on this list anyways
1: that's cool he's got that's a cool. lot of guys to pick from but we uh, got, got a pretty full team scott harrison can come off the bench and Bat against the lefty. Yep, he would, and that it would unironically probably be better than any met coming off the bench to bat against the lefty here.
0: Oh, I would take twenty twelve Scott Harrison on my roster over. I would
1: take twenty twenty two Scott Harrison on my roster
0: over Darren Ruff right now. Over Darren Ruff,
1: yeah, I would. I honestly, I would put Scott Harrison in right field right now, and it would be better than what I saw from Darren Ruff. I Not. think
0: we've done a pretty thorough job here. Of yeah. remembering, the crossover
1: Mets and A's. Yeah, a lot of relief overlap. It's a shame Sean Doolittle never came here because that could have been interesting. That would have been like a king, king sized, uh, two way guy. But he
0: almost did, almost did twice. But those are not
1: my stories to tell. Not my stories either. Um, I forget that Doc Ellis was a Met. Yeah, he wasn't Met. I didn't know he was an A. Isn't that where he threw his LSD no-hitter? Ah, oh, he was a pirate for a long time. That's oh. where he did like most of his uh, his his um pitching. Fair. Okay, well,
0: there's a lot of crossover. Aaron Harang, I mentioned him in passing. Mark Guthrie. He was on the
1: Moneyball team, which I didn't realize. Harang?
0: Yeah. Yeah. 2012 and 20 in 2000 or uh, not 2012, 2002 and 2003.
1: Yeah, he was like the last guy in that rotation. Yeah, um, but he had a storied career. um Yeah, I always forget that he was a Met. That. That's a fun poll. And that was a um, weird
0: time. All right, well, Jack. Um, probably a good place to put a pin in it for this week. We've only got one, really, one more episode of the regular season. It depends on if the Mets make the wild card or not. Where we'll be covering regular season content thoroughly. I. That's interesting. Yeah. Because well, there's next week is going to be post Brave series. We'll have a much yeah. better understanding of where this NL East race lies when we pick up the recording then. Yeah. And then there's a chance that if they're in the wild card series, they'll just be hopping right in the weekend after the wild card. So who knows? Anyways, this was episode 97. We have a fun week planned, the two of us, because Wednesday, when the Mets played the Marlins in the second game of that two game set for the very first time ever, Jack Hendon and I, Sam Lebowitz after 97 episodes of a podcast together are going to be attending a baseball game together. That's right. That's going to be with some friends from the Twitterverse, including a former guest of the
1: podcast. You Um, guys should say hi. If you want to, uh, if you want to, if you want to meet up and come find us
0: yeah if you uh if you guys wanna um say hey or you know whatever we we'll, if you're gonna be there on Wednesday night then uh give us a shout and uh, we'll try to say hey um in any event that should be fun uh if you guys want us to I don't know con- like make, anything make content or whatever let us know if it, we'll be in the same place we've never recorded an episode from the same place we're not yeah. gonna record an episode but I don't know
1: there's things you can do when you're a content creator. You got to get creative. We'll have to figure something out. I mean, it'll also depend on what the what they do. You know what Mets do. Um, what Mets doing? Yeah, we'll have to see what they end up doing. Uh, it's Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco against the Marlins for like the billionth We get Walker.
0: We get Walker against Jesus Luzardo.
1: Oh, so they're gonna get shut out.
0: Well, they they were uh, they faced Lizardo a couple weeks ago and they were they were totally fine against him they knocked him out after
1: like three or four innings okay we'll see if Lizardo has this stuff I don't I don't have that much faith but it will be a fun time either way for sure
0: yes we're very much looking forward to it um should be fun a nice midweek game against a bad team and, and hopefully we'll walk away with a Mets win in any event if you like us if you enjoyed listening go back listen to the Uh, any episodes you might have missed. Share us with a friend, share us with your family, share us with the Mets fan in your life, and be sure to give us a follow out on Twitter at the PGE pod. That is at the, the word T-H-E, P-G-E pod. Um, He's Jack Hendon, and I'm Sam Lebowitz, and this has been episode 97 of the Pleasant Good Evening podcast in the books and Mets fans. Have a pleasant evening.
1: Oh mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. 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 mm-hmm.